0: Taking a move that I make, I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break The heart of the brave, the soul of a legend with the will to be paid. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> What's up everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of No Mercy coming at you as I love to do. Several times a week, wherever you can find your podcast, you can always find No Mercy with your boy, Stephen A. This edition of No Mercy is being brought to you, uh, as usual, from our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the No Mercy podcast. You know, I, 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 I just don't know what to say. I just don't know what to say. I decided to tape this podcast on a Sunday afternoon. I am a couple of hours removed from one of the greatest performances on a basketball court I have ever seen in my life. I know, as we all do, that Steph Curry is great. He is a four-time champion. He is a two-time league MVP. He is the all-time three-point shooting marksman, universally recognized as the greatest shooter God has ever created. It is that simple. And knowing those hyperbolic sentiments one is inclined to throw in his direction, knowing what this brother is capable of doing because we've seen it time and time again, knowing that I fully expected him to go off and propel the Golden State Warriors to a Game 7 victory in the first round against the Sacramento Kings, knowing all of that, I still sit here shell shocked. 50, not 50 cent. 50, as in 5 0, as in 50 points on 20 of 38 shooting. This brother put on a show. He showed the great De'Aaron Fox, who is special. There's levels to this. Category called superstar, and you just might not be there just yet. Messed up index finger and all. Malik Monk coming into the game, leading all scorers in the postseason with points off the bench by about 32 points. OK, got a coach of the year, Mike Brown, who was a former assistant under Steve Kerr familiar with everything that Steve Kerr wants to do, familiar with everything that Steph Curry likes to do, how he wants to do it, what spots he wants to hit, where he wants to do it, when he wants to do it. It didn't matter. Clay Thompson come by basket in the first half. One for 10 shooting in the first half. Beautiful, beautiful four-point play on a three-point make after Malik Monk had scored on a putback, really, really derailing Sacramento's momentum. They were down six at the point. But when you fouled them on a three-point shot, they ended up up 10 at the end of the third quarter, and then they would run away from it. Ladies and gentlemen, there are there are levels. And it is one thing to beat somebody. It's another thing to beat them on their home turf, not yours. In a closeout game seven of a post of a postseason game, in a postseason series, but it is a, it is quite a different stratosphere when you bust their ass in the process, and you demoralize them to such a degree that you see the level of resignation and surrender engulf the opposition. That is what Steph Curry did Sunday afternoon, leading the Sacramento Kings, the, sorry, the Golden State Warriors, to their victory in Game 7 over the Sacramento Kings. The Golden State Warriors are going to the Western Conference Semifinals. They're going up against the Lakers. That means they're going up against LeBron James. And I said to everybody on national television yesterday, there were two people watching this game. Two people watching this game. One was the LeBron James that is a four-time champion himself and a four-time league MVP, okay, with his multiple NBA finals MVPs, for to be exact. This same guy, that is LeBron James. This dude, the competitive fervent side of himself, the one that belongs on the Mount Rushmore, that dude watched and marveled at the greatness of Steph Curry and said, I can't wait to go against this brother. That's one person that was watching this game yesterday. The other person that was watching the game was another person named LeBron James. Obviously the same person, but split personalities. One very, very happy and honored to be going up against the great Steph Curry on that big stage, and the other despondent and depressed, because he knows good and damn well his ass ain't going to the conference finals. Because Steph Curry gonna be standing in his way. You see, he won in Sacramento. He ain't gonna tell you that. But LeBron won in Sacramento. They're puppies. No matter how gifted they are, they're young. They ain't never been there before. Wet breath smelling like Similac, wet behind the ears. They ain't want, that's who LeBron James wanted. He ain't want some dude that's already beaten him in the NBA finals three times. That has just as many championships as him. That's on the verge of surpassing him. And as a dude that could pull up from the parking lot and LeBron James would throw up his hand because everybody believes it's going in every time he shoots because he's that great of a shooter. That's what we saw in Steph Curry. Which warrants me going to a place that I've been strongly advised not to go to because my own health is at stake. But I'm going to do it anyway. I'm not going there definitively. I'm not doing that. But I do think it is time to ask the question. These asked questions. Is Stephen Curry the greatest point guard who has ever, ever, ever lived? I think it's time to ask that question. I think it's time to ask that question because he's clearly the greatest shooter that's ever lived. He has no range. He can pull up from 20, from 30, from 40, from 50 feet. With accuracy, we've seen him do it. He can hit from the corners. He can hit from the wings. He can hit from the elbows. He can hit from the key and far beyond and above the top of the key. He can shoot off the dribble. He can shoot runners and floaters. He can shoot standing still. He can even scoop underhand shots. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This is who he is. And when you consider the profound impact that that can have on a particular player, on a particular team rather, spreading the floor, having to guard him, his movement without the basketball, keeping your head on a swivel, constantly wondering where he is, how he compromises defense and defensive schemes and all of this other stuff. What are you going to do? When you talk about a point guard having an impact, why do you say the point guard has an impact? Because of their ability to affect. All the pieces around them, both with the players that play with them and the players that play against them. Because when you've got to keep your head on a swivel where you don't know what this person is going to do because of the multitude of ways in which they can victimize you. That, to me, is what makes this a worthy and viable conversation because now you have to ask the question of impact. What point guard in NBA history that you know of that has had the impact that Steph Curry has had on a basketball game, on a basketball team? Irvin Magic Johnson. Isaiah Thomas. Jason Kidd. Nate Tiny Archibald, the great Chris Paul, CP3, Gary Payton. I mean, the list are there. No question, no doubt about it. But to me, it's a worthy question. Now I have to confess to you. There are those who will remain nameless. Some of the greatest players who ever played this game, who will remain nameless, that have flat out stated, no, 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 no. Nobody comes before Magic. They even looked at Steph's 50-point performance today, and they said it still wasn't Magic's 42-15-7, and seven, although that was a game six, not a game seven, against the Philadelphia 76ers, his rookie year, when he played center. That's what they point to. They point to the multitude of ways in which Magic could beat you. Passing the ball, driving to the basket, leading fast breaks, running a system. They point to all of those different things, not to mention his leadership. And they talk about the myriad and multitude of ways he can affect the outcome of the game. And their argument against Steph Curry was when he's not shooting, no one says these things about him. It's because of his shot. Yes, Stephen A. But when he's missing that J, no one talks about him that way. With Magic, Magic scoring one minute, another minute, he's got 20 assists. He's playing point guard. He's playing center. He's playing point forward. Magic beat you in a myriad of ways. The game was far more physical than Stephen A. You get teed up for passing gas in today's game, Stephen A. It's not the same. It's not the same. I got it. I understand. Very, very, very compelling arguments. So I can't refute what they're saying. Here's what I would tell you. If I were a basketball player, on a team and I wanted my point guard to have a profound level of impact in such a fashion that it would make it easier on me when I'm on the offensive side of the floor with that person, it wouldn't be somebody like Irvin Magic Johnson who's a beautiful passer. It would be a sniper like Steph Curry who scares the living daylights out of defenses in such a fashion that keying on him leaves me open. That is what I would say. Now, does that make him the best point guard who's ever lived? Maybe not. But it does make him the point guard. I prefer to be on my side because he'd scare the living hell out of me if he was on the opposition more than anybody else on the planet. That is Steph Curry. That is what we saw in Game 7 on Sunday afternoon at the Golden 1 Arena in Sacramento, California. That is the reason the Golden State Warriors have advanced to the semifinals of the Western Conference playoffs against LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers and the Sacramento Kings, winners of 48 games this season, top three seed in the Western Conference, is going home in the first round. I'm just giving it to you straight. There ain't no other way to put it. I got more playoff action to talk to you about. Plus I got some other stuff on my mind as well. Stick around, don't go anywhere. You're listening to Stephen A. On No Mercy, back with more in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's sticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? I'm all right. I'm all right. You know, I, 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 I'm not going to panic. You, I'm not going to panic. It's just one game. It's just one game. I know all of y'all out there sitting there looking at me and like, yeah, what happened to you, Knicks? What happened to you? It's just one game, baby. It's just one game. It's still orange and blue skies. It's still orange and blue skies. I, ain't, I haven't lost faith. I haven't lost faith. I didn't see Julius Randle out there. I didn't see him out there playing. Knicks were, uh, Knicks were shorthanded, okay? Came out strong. I was very, very pleased and proud with R.J. Barrett coming into game one. Remember, after the first two games sticking up to join against Cleveland, had me thinking he should be benched. But then after that, Started driving to the basket a hell of a lot more. Only drew to, drove to the basket 17 times in the first two games. Last three games of that series against Cleveland, drove to the basket 41 times. Was averaging 22 points on better than 50% shooting. I, I was looking for him to be aggressive. He came out aggressive. OB Toppin filling in for Julius Randle, the injured Julius Randle, who's got to get his ankle situated right, okay? OB Toppin came out there, was active, was scoring on the break, was hitting threes, hit jump shots. I was pleased, okay? And even though Jalen Brunson would finish 0 for 7 from three point range, inside the three point line, he was doing his thing. Here's where I got really, really, really nervous. I'm a Rocky fan. Not so much one, but Rocky two, the rematch with Apollo Creed. Rocky 3 against Mr. T a pitiful a pitiful I'm a fan of that. I was a fan of Four him versus Drago after after Drago murdered Apollo Creed in the ring. I was I was I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that. But I remember in 2 when the trainer for Apollo Creed Apollo said, "What's your problem, man? What's your issue?" And he said to him Honestly, give me the truth. He's all wrong for us, baby. I saw you beat this man within an inch of his life. And he wouldn't go away. He kept coming. And that's what he said. And every time I run across somebody that likes a Jimmy Butler, who was not only a great player, but a rough rider, With heart and guts, ain't scared of nobody. It's the kind of thing I think about. Because... I watched the New York Knicks hit jump shots. I watched Mitchell Robinson grab one of his 14 offensive rebounds and register two of those blocks early in the first half. I watched him be an imposing presence. I watched R.J. Barrett hit shots. I watched Grimes hit a jump shot. I watched Obi Toppin hit threes. I watched Jalen Brunson shake and bake and get himself into the lane and drop a few teardrops and floaters. I watched all of that. And Miami wouldn't go away. Gabe Vincent. Suddenly, this brother, he's like Steph Curry, for crying a lot. He hitting jump shots. Schroes, he's hitting jump shots. Lowry coming off the bench. I thought he was done. He hitting jump shots. And then they go in the second half on a 21 to 5 run. Even then, I said to myself, it's okay, because you know what? We don't have Julius Stranded. We make it close. We can win. We can win. If we don't, it's going to be all right. We'll be back. But then Jimmy Butler hurts his ankle. It damn near looks broke. He's writhing on the ground in pain. You could literally read Coach Eric Spolstra's lips for the Miami Heat say, fuck, you literally saw him say that. You literally, I'm not cussing, I'm just telling you, I'm quoting him. Because he knows how it compromises and damages their championship aspirations. The doctors come out. There's no way that Jimmy Butler is going to play. There's no way that he's going to be available. Is he lost for the series? Is he lost for the season? It looked that bad. Do y'all know Jimmy Butler never left the game? Jimmy Butler never left the game. He went to the free throw line, hit both free throws, and stayed in the game until the outcome was decided. Now they had him planted in the left corner half the time because he couldn't move the way that he was before he hurt his ankle. But he never left the game. New York Knicks, and we all know that I'm a New York Knicks fan. Yes, I'm leading with my heart, not my head, or my basketball expertise and analysis. I'm leading with my heart. I'll be the first to admit it. But I truly believe the Knicks can win this series in seven games. But they got to have all their horses. That means Julius Randle, too. They can't beat Miami without Julius Randle. Just like they can't beat Miami without Jalen Brunson. The New York Knicks have got to have all their horses. Jimmy Butler had 25 and 11 still. Gave Vincent at 20 points. Bam Adebayo had a quiet 16, but still made a couple of big plays. Lowry had about 18 coming off the bench. Kevin Love hit a couple of big time shots. And by the way, there's nobody that's a better outlet pass thrower in the NBA than Kevin Love. He did it about three times today on Sunday afternoon. About three times. Miami was the worst offense in basketball. Throughout these playoffs, they're number one in points, number one in field goal efficiency, number one in three-point field goal efficiency. I thought the New York Knicks would shut them down. They only shot 42% for the field, only shot 33% for three-point range. Doesn't matter. These brothers are finding ways to hit shots. If Miami's hitting shots, they can beat anybody. We could see potentially a rematch between Miami and Boston in the Eastern Conference Finals because I don't believe for one second Philly was beating Boston, even if they had a healthy Embiid. And with Embiid questionable for game one Monday night in Boston, hell, why should I believe they're going to beat Boston? Not with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Not with Marcus Smart, Derek White, and Malcolm Brogdon, the reigning sixth man of the year. Not with Robert Williams, the third back, in a lot of to defend against Embiid. Not with Al Horford. Why would I believe that? I don't even need to talk about the Philly-Boston series because I don't think Harden and Maxi and Tobias Harrison are beating Boston. I don't believe it. I just don't. But I did believe the Knicks had a chance. It ends without Julius Randle. And Game 2 is an absolute bust because the New York Knicks, going back to Miami for Games 3 and 4, are not winning four games out of five against the Miami Heat after losing both games at Madison Square Garden to open up the series. It's not going to happen. I reserve judgment until then. I still hold out hope for my New York Knicks. But they got problems, and I'm willing to admit that. Here's what I will tell you. Their problems are no bigger than the Phoenix Suns. KD is that dude. Kevin Durant, yes, he is. Devin Booker is that dude. He's something special. Ladies and gentlemen, I watched the Denver Nuggets against Phoenix on Saturday night. They are bigger, courtesy of Nikola Jokic. They are bigger. Of course, Aaron Gordon, too. They are bigger. They are stronger. They have more depth. They have more athletes and evidently more hunger. You see, I've always been a Jamal Murray fan. But this brother, I forgot the last two years that he was out because of his torn ACL and stuff, I forgot they haven't advanced past the conference semifinals. The last time we saw Jamal Murray healthy in a Denver Nuggets uniform in the postseason for the Nuggets, they were in the Western Conference Finals. This brother shows up on the court Saturday night. He drops 34. By the way, 28 of those points came on jump shots. Nobody in the playoffs has come close to doing that off jump shots. The only person was somebody that did it in the first round, which was the same Jamal Murray who scored 25 points off of jump shots against Minnesota in a game in the first round. This brother can ball. We raved about the Aaron Fox and Malik Monk from Sacramento. They came from Kentucky. Guess where Jamal Murray came from? Kentucky. We've been talking about Anthony Davis for the Lakers. He's got 26 blocks in their first round series against the Memphis Grizzlies. Where he come from? Kentucky National Championship. That's where Jamal Murray's from. We talk about cats that show up in the postseason and elevate their game to another level. That's Jamal Murray. And that still doesn't take into account Nikola Jokic. Oh, by the way, because of Jamal Murray, we heard nothing about Nikola Jokic. Um, he just had 24 points and 19 rebounds. I just thought I'd throw that out there for y'all. He 24 points and 19 rebounds. An immovable object, a tub of lard, can't jump onto a damn curb, and you can't stop him. You can't stop him. This is who he is. Denver's got home court advantage. That high altitude in a mile high city is expected is expected to affect everybody. You got Jamal Murray. You got Aaron Gordon. You got Nikola Jokic. Oh, by the way, Bruce Brown is on that squad. Jeff Green, the age-old veteran that is Jeff Green, taking offensive fouls. He's still on that squad. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, who helped the Los Angeles Lakers win a championship in a bubble in 2020. He's on that squad. Reggie Jackson don't even play. He was on the Clippers. He's on that squad. Nuggets are loaded. Nuggets are loaded. And it is going to take the greatness of Kevin Durant and Booker together. Kevin Durant had 29 points and 14 rebounds. Booker had 27 points, and it didn't mean a damn thing. Denver ran them out of the city. Ran them out of there. Denver's not playing. And regardless of what we want to say about the Golden State Warriors or the Los Angeles Lakers, Denver looks like the best team in the Western Conference. Game two is a must-win for the Phoenix Suns. You don't want to be. I know you usually say when you're on the road, you usually say the series doesn't start until you get to your home court. And I get that. But there are exceptions. I know that Phoenix gets to go back to Phoenix for games three and four. But the point is, if you go back 0-2, now you're called upon to win four games out of the next five when you're only playing six dudes. Monty Williams scared to play other people. Kevin Durant and and Devin Booker are averaging over 43 minutes a game. That ain't going to cut it. And if Kevin Durant loses, if Kevin Durant went through all that he went through to depart from Brooklyn and end up in Phoenix, and Kevin Durant ends up going home in the first round, Again, for a second consecutive year, no matter how great I believe he is, no matter how great we all know he is, let's face reality. He's going to be looked upon in a different light. We're going to have to look at CP3, and we're going to wonder what's going, what his future is going to hold because his contract is only partially guaranteed for next season, unless they pick up the option in June. You know that Phoenix would not mind at all getting their hands on Kyrie Irving. I saw him at the game. He was at the Lakers game the other night. Don't think for one second that, that that Phoenix wouldn't want Kyrie Irving. Don't think for one second that the Lakers wouldn't want Kyrie Irving. D'Angelo Russell, he had 31 points in that closeout game against Memphis in Game Six. Well, guess what? He's got to do. He's got to show up against the Warriors as well. Because if you're the Los Angeles Lakers and you ain't that damn high on him, who knows what you might be willing to do to go take a chance and bring Kyrie Irving to Los Angeles? You think he was sitting directly across the Lakers from the Lakers bench for nothing? Kyrie Irving was sitting in seats that were usually occupied by Denzel Washington. Directly across from the Lakers bench. If you were sitting on the Lakers bench and you looked across the court, Kyrie Irving was sitting right there. You think that's a coincidence? I don't. So, all of these things are things to consider, they're things that can't be ignored. And it will all be put in play, and the apple cart, the figurative apple cart will be upset because we'll all be sitting there looking at the Denver Nuggets. They've upset everything because if they send CP3 and KD home in the first round, the collateral damage, the ripple effect, as it pertains to the NBA this offseason, free agency and beyond, could potentially be epic. This is a series to watch, but not because of the outcome, but how the outcome comes down and what residual effects it leaves in its wake. Got one more segment for you coming up. Don't touch that dial. It's Stephen A. No mercy in the house. Back with more in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? So before I get on out of here, because there's a whole bunch of NBA action that I have gotten into and I will continue to get into in the weeks to come because the playoffs are going deeper and deeper. The conference finals, conference semifinals rather have arrived. The conference finals will be shortly thereafter. And, of course, the finals are slated to start on June 1st and end at the latest by June 18th. Got to do the NBA draft this year as well. So I'll be all over the place with it. And then, of course, thereafter, it's a couple of weeks later, and then there's NBA free agency. Um, There's a lot of stuff to get into, and I certainly will not hesitate to do just that. But I got to veer left on some football item that I need to discuss because. The one and only primetime Deion Sanders, the new head coach at the University of Colorado, made some news. Um, in the aftermath of the NFL draft, uh, the former Jackson State coach who departed a few months ago to take the job in the Pac-12s, Colorado. Uh, Colorado Buffaloes won an 11 last season. So obviously there's nowhere to go for there but up for primetime Deion Sanders now that he's inherited that program. But considering the success that he's had at Jackson State, the level of... Uh, Notoriety he's brought to HBCUs. Um, Coach Prime tweeted Saturday that he is, quote, ashamed, end quote, of 31 NFL teams after uh, his former cornerback and returner at Jackson State, Isaiah Bolden, Bolden, B-O-L-D-E-N, was the lone HBCU player drafted this year. He's a cornerback and a returner, like I just said. He was selected 245th overall. That's the seventh round by the New England Patriots on Saturday, meaning Bill Belichick's New England Patriots. Sanders, as I told you now to Coach Colorado, took to Twitter to congratulate his former player and to admonish the NFL for passing on other HBCU players. So proud of you, Isaiah Bolden, 23. You deserve to be drafted much higher, but I'm truly proud of you. I know how much you wanted this. I'm ashamed of the 31 other NFL teams that couldn't find draft value in all of the talented HBCU players, and we had three more draft-worthy players at Jackson State. For those of you who may not recall, four HBCU players were selected in last year's NFL draft. Um. When you look at Bolden, he's the second Jackson State player who played under Sanders to be drafted. The other was linebacker James Houston, who was selected by the Detroit Lions in the sixth round last year and went on to become just the third player. Since sacks became an official statistic in 1982, by the way, to record at least one sack in each of his first four career games. Terrell Suggs and Santana Dotson were the others. I'm reading from ESPN.com and giving you those nuggets. Here's how I'm torn. Deion Sanders is my brother. I love him. And uh, I usually agree with him. I'm not telling you that I don't agree with him here. What I'm saying is I don't know definitively if I'm being totally honest. See, ladies and gentlemen, we have to make up our mind. I know people who are advocates of drafts being abolished because they consider it some kind of plantation thing or slavery i've never held that level of thinking do you know why ladies and gentlemen because it doesn't matter what ethnicity you are if you want to be an nfl player you're gonna to have to go through the draft it ain't like white folks don't have to go through the same things these black players don't have to go through in order to get drafted so since the rules are applicable to everybody I don't go that route and I don't feel that way. Although I do understand how having to be half naked and having everything measured and you got to jump when they tell you to jump and run when they tell you to run and do the drills that they want you to drill. But damn it, you volunteered. You want to play football? Death comes with it. I got that. Here's where I have trouble fully embracing what primetime Deion Sanders is saying. The NFL is known for not giving a damn about anything but its bottom line in a lot of people's eyes. And the teams themselves have been accused of being willing to draft somebody from Mars, if that's what it took, to win football games. Now, I know that there are things that have come along. When Michael Sam was drafted out of Missouri, there was a lot of people that felt he shouldn't have been drafted as late as he was, being one of the elite players in that conference, but when he came out you know, revealing to the world that he was a homosexual, people thought that was held against him to some degree. I do understand what Colin Kaepernick, which obviously that's not the case, that's something different. His situation was hijacked because he was willing to take a knee during the national anthem to bring attention to police brutality and the way black folks were being treated by law enforcement officials, uh, along with various other folks within this country's History, these are the kind of things that he was doing and was pointing out to bring attention to. And it was hijacked because a president at the time hijacked the narrative, turned it into his own political fodder. I got all of that. But for the most part, particularly over the last decade plus, if you can ball, they take you. And they take who they believe to be is the best available player unless you've got off-field issues. Okay? So, if you didn't draft some of these HBCU players, to me, it's entirely plausible. They may not have been seen because you're not paying attention. You're not scouting them. If you're not scouting them and you don't know what they can do, you may not take a chance to fly on them and go for it. That makes sense if that's what Dion was alluding to. But if he's alluding to them looking at HBCU talent and passing on them because they didn't believe that the HBCU talent that they looked at was good enough, well, then that's just their evaluation. Because I have a difficult time. Listen. If you got a black player that's at Alabama, you got a black player that's at LSU or Ohio State or UCLA or USC or whatever the case may be, and you're willing to take a player from one of those programs, why wouldn't you be willing to take a player that you saw from an HBCU program if you looked at them and you thought they had similar abilities? I don't know if I can accuse, like, if I can go as far as saying... I'm ashamed of the National Football League, the 31 other teams that didn't draft another HBCU player. Isaiah Bolden may be considerably better than a lot of the HBCU players he was competing against. I don't know. I'm just saying that's a difficult thing to accuse the NFL of. You got NFL meaning the league office, led by Troy Vinson, the executive VP of football operations, is heavily involved with bringing the attention to and contributing the causes that benefit HBCUs. Deion Sanders himself, we know how revered he should be because of the attention and the notoriety he's brought to HBCUs. The more cameras and the more of a lens that's placed on HBCU players, the more visible their talents will be to that of scouts, player player personnel directors, GMs, head of football operations, we go from there. I'm not saying that there isn't more talent at HBCUs. I'm saying if the lens isn't placed upon these players, then you may not have paid enough attention to them. And if you're saying that I'm ashamed because we're not giving them the attention they deserve, we're not paying attention to them because we may not know what the hell is going on at HBCUs, I'm down for that. I totally agree with Dion. But if you go to an HBCU and you watch these guys play and you think that there are an abundance of other players that are better, then that's what you think. Because your job as a football team and as a football executive is to get the best available talent. And if you don't believe that that is the case, you don't believe that that is the case. That's just how I look at it. Again, I believe in HBCU talent. I want the cameras following them wherever they go. I want them nationally televised. I want the competition stiffened. I want to see these brothers getting an opportunity, getting more visibility, getting more notoriety, getting more press. I want to see that. I just want us to understand that if that happens and you still see some HBCU players passed up on, then that then that might mean they got to continue to elevate their play. Notoriety or lack thereof is one issue. But it's not like somebody should be drafted just because they're from an HBCU. And I don't think Deion is saying that. I'm just saying I needed more clarity with his position. I went to school with a former HBCU player that, was in the NFL. His name is Yancey Thigpen. He was a wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Titans. He and I went to school together. He was the star of the football team when I was at Winston-Salem State University. I know there's talent at HBCUs. I know there's some brothers that could do some big-time things. But if the NFL saw fit to only draft one. Well, why did they draft four last year? Maybe it's because they saw four last year who belonged in the NFL, and this year they felt they only saw one. It's possible. The key is making sure that there's more notoriety, that there's more of a lens, that we have an opportunity to really, really see, that we don't see talent flying under the radar because they never get noticed. But as long as they're getting noticed and that lens is shining on them and visibility continues to improve, that is what we should be in pursuit of. It's not them getting drafted. It's them having the ability, the the visibility to showcase their talents, to prove that they're worthy of being drafted. That's what we should be in pursuit of. And if you say you're ashamed of the 31 other teams, tell us why. Not just that they weren't drafted. Give us some more intel so we can make a greater case for those who deserve it. That's it for this edition of No Mercy. I hope y'all enjoyed it. I know I certainly did. Appreciate the time and the energy and all of that stuff that comes with it. I'll be back in a few days because NBA action is fantastic. Stick around. Make sure you check me out. I'll make sure I holler at you. As I always told you, you don't have to know sports to know mercy. But in my case, it damn sure helps to know both. Peace and love, everybody. Until next time.